That was a strategic pause so that you could register for the Christmas Eve service. So I hope all of you at home registered for the Christmas Eve. If you're here, it'll probably take me about 30 to 80 seconds to catch my breath, get this figured out. No one ever thinks of me and brings up a uh, <laughs> music stand. So, so good to be here with all of you in person and then those at home. Uh, we've just been so thankful to get to be able to celebrate in so many different ways our family and Advent and, and our church together. So again, like Claire said, thanks Claire, this party this Wednesday, do you guys know who Andrea Akisi is? Formerly Andrea Rugi, best party animal you'll ever meet. So this party is going to be fun. So you're going to want to be there on Wednesday and then definitely there's just a link to a Google form, and we'll just ask everybody that's going to be worship with you, worshiping with you. So that might be your family or some friends. I'm not sure. Put everybody's name because the box will be customized to what you fill out on that form so that you get everything you need to worship well on Christmas Eve. You don't want to miss out on that, okay? You're going to really be kicking yourself if you don't fill out this form. So do it even right now. I'm like 80 seconds in. I probably need another 80 before I actually get rolling. So go ahead, find the link. If you're watching online, it's literally right below the video, if you're watching from your computer, so you can click on that link. So today, we are in the third week of Advent. We've got our Advent candle here, and we will be studying a passage of Scripture like we do every week. But before we do that, I want to ask you a question. Think about this. What for you would be the least desirable job you could possibly have. The least desirable job you could possibly have. What is that for you? Think about it for a sec. While I fix my mask here. The least desirable job. I mean, this is like the job that if you had it, you wouldn't be that happy (laughs) at all. Like I said, 80 seconds to get ready. Here we go. What is that job? We're actually going to be studying today about the shepherds. I don't know what you know about the shepherds, but the shepherds weren't what we think. You hear shepherd, you've heard the Christmas story, they've been made famous by the nativity scene, and you're like, probably not so bad to be a shepherd, you get to be in the nativity scene. Turns out, before the nativity scene, not so great, not so desirable to be a pastor, or to be a, well, yeah, to be a pastor, (laughs) to be a shepherd. It's becoming a lot more like those times. Now, The thing about the shepherds is people despised them. Um, In fact, I was reading just today. Let me see if I can find it. Um, In that time, um, the shepherds in first century Jewish culture, which is where Bethlehem was, where the story of Jesus' birth takes place, um, most people believed that God didn't like shepherds. It was like a curse on them to become shepherds. Um, They didn't like them. Um, Most of the pious Jews, so the very religious folks, um, they would not buy milk or lambs or or sheepskin from shepherds because they assumed that the shepherds had actually stolen those goods. But it wasn't just the Jews. It was also the Gentiles. And we're going to be reading uh, the gospel account from Luke. And Luke is actually primarily writing his gospel to Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish people that have been the Greeks and the Romans and whatnot. And there was a philosopher from Alexandria who said this about 
shepherds, he says this, there is no more disreputable an occupation than that of a shepherd. So what's the most undesirable job that you can think of? What we're about to read, think about that, what God does in revealing something to these shepherds. So would you read with me? If you're following along, I'm actually going to be reading from the NIV today. Um, So we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, the Gospel of Luke. There was four books written about the life, teaching, ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Luke is writing, and he writes this. You ready? I'm going to read the whole account. So Luke chapter 2. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree. This is, who's Caesar Augustus? The emperor of Rome. He issued a decree, and a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee, to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And, this is what happens when the time comes, she gave birth. <laughs> I love how simple Luke's explanation is. He doesn't actually give us a lot of detail about the birth of Jesus. Have you ever realized that? It's it's quite interesting. There's all this other stuff surrounding it, but the actual account is she was expecting, and while they were there, it came time for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So that's it. (laughs) That's the account of Jesus being born. Interesting. And then more of the surrounding circumstance comes into view. Verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Let me just pause here. You know what it doesn't say? Working out in the fields nearby. What does it say? Living. What's this mean? They lived outside. Part of the reason this is a very undesirable job is you had to live outside with your flock. So they were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. That means the Savior, the Anointed One, the the person who the Old Testament had been predicting God would send to rescue and save and reestablish God's people, God's land, the nation of Israel. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, now really, they're singing. 
Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, just picture this. That's a very terrifying event. Something crazy has happened. And they look at each other, and with great consensus they say, let's go. Where do we go? To Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, that has happened. This is so key. Not that might have happened, not that we hope has happened. Let's go see what has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. You've probably heard that story so many times, but, but, but do you look at it, and do you, do you slow down, and do you read it? We're going to slow down, and we're going to try to look closely and see something very incredible. And we tend to think about this story almost like a fairy tale, this, the silent night, this peaceful place. This is a real world. Luke's trying to help us see this is a real world happening in the real Roman Empire where there's oppression and uh, there's great um, strata between upper and lower class. These shepherds would have been the lowest of the low. They would have been seen kind of like thieves, um, outcasts. They were, were definitely not the inside crowd. And yet God shows up to them. And so you have to ask yourselves, is this a fairy tale or is this a true story? Here's three reasons why I think this is a true story. This is a true story. Now, there's a little line in there where Luke tells us, um, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Why, why does he throw that in there in the narrative about the shepherds? Here's what I think's going on. How did Luke record this account? Well, Luke, most people, most scholars believe, was a medical doctor by the way he writes, by the grammar he uses in the Greek. Very educated man. And... He decides, if you read the very beginning of Luke, he just says, I'm going I'm to put together an account of everything that you've been taught so that you can have confidence in it. And so Luke seem, seems to be what he did is he went around and he interviewed, like an investigative journalist, he interviewed all the eyewitness accounts of people who are still alive. And most scholars believe that Mary is one of those people. Mary was still alive when Luke's writing his gospel. And so Luke's sitting down, just picture this, interviewing Mary. Tell, tell me what it was like on the night that Jesus was born. And so he throws this little line in here, I think, to, to tip off, hey, this is how Mary explained how it happened to me, that these shepherds came, and here's what the shepherds told them had happened and, and about the angels, what the angels sang. And of course, guided by the Holy Spirit, interviewing the eyewitnesses, Luke records this for us, because Mary had treasured these things up. What does it all mean? And after Jesus' life and ministry, his death and his resurrection, and then his ascension, Mary now sees all these things in more clarity and explains them to Luke. 
So you say, well, what if Mary just made this up? Well, one, you're going to go after Mary? That's how you're going to... <laughs> you can go after Mary? Don't go after Mary. There's a lot of great people to go after. Don't go after Mary, okay? What did Mary ever do to you? She's like the last person you should go after. She, why, why would she be lying about this? If her son had died, her son is already dead. She's an old woman at this point. Why would she just make these things up? The other reason why you should trust Mary is why would she make up shepherds showing up? If they're the most disreputed band of thieves that nobody trusts, in fact, most scholars believe that shepherds weren't even allowed uh, to give testimony in the court of law. Their testimony was thrown out. Nobody could trust the shepherds. And yet Mary tells Luke about these shepherds. You wouldn't, you wouldn't add shepherds to the story. You'd add some religious, upper-class folks to get the story heard. So we can trust Mary. She would never bring up shepherds. And then I think Luke wants us to say, why don't you go ask around, because I'm telling you where this all happened. I bet some of these shepherds are still alive, and they were going around town telling everybody it's probably in that part of the world. These, these aren't huge towns, okay? These aren't like hundreds of thousands of people. We can probably find out if this is a story that's been told over and over again about this angelic encounter. So I think we can trust it. I, think, <laughs> I don't see why this would be made up. So it's a true story. And so why would God choose these shepherds? So I'm going to do three things for the rest of our time. Because believe it or not, you might not know it yet, I'm here to talk about joy I'm here to talk about joy. And this is the line I want to focus on here. It's incredibly difficult to read my Bible if you can't tell. That's why the angle here. <laughs> um, not used to these night services anymore. So the, so the angel said to the shepherds, this is in verse 10, don't be afraid. And then what's he say? I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. There's good news that causes great joy. And the third week of Advent is typically surrounding the idea of joy. So we're going to talk about joy today. I'm going to talk about, one, the prerequisite for experiencing joy, true joy. Then I'm going to talk about how to actually take hold or let joy take root in your life and then the third thing I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what joy actually accomplishes. Spoiler alert, it's not just for you. So we're going to talk about the prerequisite for experiencing true or what I'd call unassailable joy. Then I'm going to tell you how it actually takes root and then I'm going to tell you what it accomplishes. All right? So here we go. Why the shepherds? Well, the shepherds had this prerequisite figured out. Not because they were smarter, not because they knew how to find true joy, but because their life was terrible. They had a terrible life. Um, this should be good news for all of us. Most of our lives right now aren't so great. 2020 has brought us into a great prerequisite for tr finding true joy. Unassailable joy. Because the shepherds didn't have much going for them. Think about it. They were living in the open fields. They were despised by their countrymen. 
They probably had little to no money or upward mobility. They just didn't have a lot going for them. They had the prerequisite, which is the removal of all other competing half-joys. One of the best ways to find true joy is to have all the other half-joys removed. And the shepherds had that. Sitting alone in the field with smelly sheep, everyone in the town thinking they're thieves, they had the prerequisite. They didn't have a lot of half-joys or incomplete joys stealing their attention, distracting them. So think about it like this. Have you ever been reading your Bible, perhaps? Maybe, maybe not. And um, it's early in the morning, and you've just had a cup of coffee. And all of a sudden, you read something, and you come alive, right? And you're like, oh, I think that might be the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's amazing. What am I reading? And then you have that little creeping, nagging voice in your head that says, well, I started drinking my coffee about... 25 minutes ago, how long does it take that caffeine to kick in? (laughs) And you start to wonder, is that joy from the Word of God, or is that joy from the caffeine that I just inhaled? I don't know. Am I the only one that has had that experience? I'm just trying to be honest here. Um, Maybe you get invited to a friend's house, and they cook you a a dinner, and you eat dinner. It's a good dinner. It's a really nice dinner, in fact. And um, plenty of protein. Um, and all of a sudden, about 45 minutes later, you're having a conversation. You're like, this is a great party. This is a great dinner party. I love this party. I really like these friends. These are really good friends. And then you start to wonder, do I like them or is the food just kicking in? And I'm experiencing the joy of free food, great food that's filling my body with energy. And you begin to question Is that joy coming from the friendship or this great food that I have? You see what I'm saying? This is actually part of the reason why in the Christian tradition and other traditions, in fact, uh, there's a practice uh, called fasting. Have you heard of this? This is why you fast, to remove all the half-joys that may or may not distract you from experiencing the joy that only comes from the presence of the Lord. That's why people practice fasting. So that I am not distracted or confused by all these other joys, because there's, there's many half joys in the world, but the joy that comes from Christ, from the presence of the Lord, is different. So the shepherds, they had this. They probably didn't have much to eat, probably couldn't afford a latte, and they're clearly not warm and cozy by a fire, but they experience this great joy. And so they had no delusion of where that joy came from. They had the prerequisite. They knew exactly where the joy came from. It's when the angels delivered the good news to them. See what I'm saying? They had the prerequisite for experiencing and finding true, unassailable joy. They didn't have much going for them. That's the prerequisite. For many of us in 2020... This could be the grace of God, bringing us to this point where we don't have a lot to look forward to. We don't have a lot to be particularly thankful when it comes to practical things that we can look back on in in this year and say, ah, so thankful I got to go on that vacation, or I got to experience that great party, or I got to do this, or I got to do that. There's not much, but guess what? You can still find 
joy like no other. I experienced it this week. I had a very hard week. Transmission in my car went out. Basement flooded. Can't get the contractor to call me back because my bathroom upstairs is ripped apart, and so I haven't had a bathroom for three months. He just won't call me back. And all this happened this week, and it's just, man, it's depressing. But guess what? As I studied, because it's my job and I had to preach a sermon this week, (laughs) the word of God. As I read it, joy returned to me. And I had no illusion about where that joy was coming from because nothing else in my life is going well right now. It's coming from the presence of the Lord through his word. And so let me tell you then how it takes root How does it take root? Let's look at the text. I'm actually going to go back here to chapter 1, and we're going to look at the encounter that comes right before the birth of Jesus, in which Mary is visited by an angel. She is told that she is going to conceive a child without ever having marital relations with Joseph, her husband. And the angel tells Mary that the Holy Spirit is going to overwhelm her and she's going to become pregnant with child and she's supposed to name him Jesus. He is Christ the Lord and he will be the savior of his people. And it's a fantastic, amazing, again, revelation from an angel to Mary. And the next thing that Mary does is she goes and visits her aunt Elizabeth. Now, why does she go visit aunt Elizabeth? Well, if you know the story, Aunt Elizabeth had just gotten pregnant at a very old age after not being able to conceive for her whole life. She got pregnant six months earlier, and her son was to be named John, and he became what we now call John the Baptizer or John the Baptist. You may have heard him. His job was to prepare the way for his cousin Jesus. And, and, and so if you know the story of Jesus, John grows up, and he is a prophet, and he calls people to repentance, and then Jesus comes on the scene and the people are made ready for Jesus' coming. Well, the birth narratives go exactly the same way. Elizabeth gets pregnant, and then Mary gets pregnant, and the first thing that Mary does is she says, I'm going to go visit my aunt Elizabeth. So let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready. This is right after she was told um, she was going to conceive. She hurried to the town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home, that's Elizabeth's husband, and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, which was now six months um, developed, um, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a loud voice, Elizabeth exclaimed this, Blessed are you among women, speaking to Mary, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Imagine that. If I, went, I got, I got uh, four aunts. None of them ever say, oh, <laughs> I'm so blessed that my, or my nephew David visited me. They never say that. If you're watching right now, a little bit of help would be nice when I show up. They never say that. So this is so strange, right, that the older (laughs) Elizabeth would get so excited. What does she know? It's been revealed to her that Mary is with child, and the child is the Messiah. And she believes. Elizabeth believes. So she says that. How favored am I that the mother of my Lord, 
That's a big statement. Should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Mary, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Same joy that the angels talk about in chapter 2. Same word. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So he's, Elizabeth's now speaking about Mary, saying, Blessed is the one who heard the angel's news about what he would do, about God coming to earth in, in flesh, and believed it. That's what makes Mary blessed. That's what makes her special. That's what leads to joy. Because in the very next words, as soon as Elizabeth, who by all accounts is a very godly woman because God has chosen her to bear John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Jesus, the Messiah. Zechariah, her husband, is a priest at the temple. And so as soon as uh, Elizabeth says that, Mary breaks into song. You see a lot of singing in Luke. And this, this song is called the Magnificant. Have you heard about this? Mary exclaims and she says this. And Mary said, again, I don't know why this was translated. She sung. She sung, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices to God my Savior. I won't read the whole thing. Basically, she expresses joy. That's what she's doing. Now, what leads to her expressing joy? And what led Elizabeth to expressing joy? You've got to look at that key verse there in verse uh, 45. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So, when the Lord speaks and you believe that his promises are true, that's how joy, unassailable, true joy, enters your life. You don't believe me. That seems too easy. Well, you see it with Elizabeth. She believed that she would become pregnant when she's old and she's been trying to have a child for years and years and years and Zechariah is old and she believes. Guess who doesn't believe? I won't read it for you. Zechariah. In fact, an angel visits Zechariah. He's a priest in the temple and, and, and the angel says, you're, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah doesn't believe him. And guess what happens to Zechariah? He goes mute. He, he can't talk. Until John is born. Because his joy is deferred <laughs> and delayed. Because why? He didn't believe. Not Elizabeth. Elizabeth believed and immediately was filled with joy. So there's something here about believing the words, the news revealed. And when you believe it and trust that it's true, you experience joy. That's what it seems to be saying. It seems that... Simple. Now go back to the shepherds. Is that how the shepherds experience joy? Well, the angel says to them, what? Go back to our verse here. Verse 19. Um, but the angel, sorry, verse 10. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, a word from the Lord, a message from God, that will cause great joy for all the people. And then they go straight and see their joy revealed. But they experienced the joy before they even got to see Jesus lying in a manger. They experienced the joy already. They experienced it because there's something that happens 
when you hear the promise of God and you trust it. There's a joy that comes. I know this from my own life. There's a joy that happens even before the promise is fulfilled. There's something about trusting the words of God that lead to joy. Here's the big idea. Joy can only follow on the heels of faith. There is this joy that is connected to faith. And it's almost unexplainable, but we've all experienced it. Think of my son Grayson. Long before he opens his gifts on Christmas Eve, he's what? He's experiencing joy. Because he trusts that when dad says, there will be gifts, that my word is true. And he experiences now joy even before he knows that those promises will be fulfilled. You see what I'm saying? We experience this? There is a joy that comes from faith, from having someone in your life that's so trustworthy that when they say something, you know it's going to come true. But of course, not everybody trusts the word of the Lord. And so although this good news that the angel gives to the shepherds, that the shepherds then take and tell everybody in the town, not everybody experiences the same joy. We don't know for sure, but there's an, it's an interesting part of the narrative that it says that the shepherds go back into the city and they're telling everybody what they have seen and heard. And it says all of the people were what? Amazed. I couldn't believe it. Oh, man, wonder. Oh, I can't believe this happened to you guys. You know what it doesn't say? And so they went to go see the baby. They're just amazed at the story. Wow, this is crazy. If this is true, this is amazing. And so I think there's something. When I say faith, I think some of you think only an intellectual um, assent to these truths. But I think when you see and you watch and you read these narratives, the faith of Elizabeth and Mary and the shepherds, when they hear the news, they experience joy now because their faith is such that it leads them to act. They do something. They go and they see. Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. Elizabeth says, the Messiah is here. Elizabeth then invites Mary to live with her for three months. This was part of the story I, didn't, I never knew. I was like, Joseph probably is a little bit worried at this point. <laughs> three months go by. No cell phones back in the day. Um, she just says, I'm going to see my Aunt Elizabeth, and then just doesn't come back for three months. That might have been a little bit nerve-wracking for him. And there's always action associated with this faith. So the prerequisite is that you're not, not so distracted by these half joys that when the word and the good news of God and the promise of God comes to you, you're able to fully take it in and hear it and believe that it's true even before you've seen Jesus lying in a manger. And when that happens, you're filled with joy. And this is the Christian life. There's so many promises that are yet to be fulfilled but yet we can have joy when we hear the word of God and we trust that it will happen. We might not know exactly how, we might not know exactly what it's going to look like, but because God says it and we trust him, we have this great joy. 
It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the life of following God. Okay, so what does joy accomplish? Well, we just read it there. Go back to chapter 1. It accomplishes something interesting. Now, there's always fear when the angel shows up. Everybody's fearful. Just go back and read it. Everyone's fearful. So it's not like comfort is a part of what's accomplished for you. You think Mary was feeling comfortable carrying in her womb the Savior of the universe. You think Elizabeth, as a very old woman, (laughs) being pregnant was comfortable. No. Something even better than our comfort is accomplished through true, unassailable joy. Let's look at what Mary does. Chapter 1. Let me look at that Magnificant again. Mary's song, verse 46. Mary says this, My soul glorifies the Lord. Now, terrible translation here in the NIV. Most translations say magnifies. That's what's called the Magnificant. Magnifies the Lord. The Greek word there is megalune. What a great word. My soul megalunes the Lord. What's going on? Well, as you might think, mega is where we get it from. It says, my soul makes much of God and what he's done. It, 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 it expresses the greatness of God. My soul. It's like I can't even control it. She's not saying my words. She's saying my soul magnifies. And I think the reason the NIV translates it, because what, what is magnifying the greatness of God? That is glorifying God. The best translation for glory might be weight. To, to, to truly express the weightiness of God. And so this beautiful song of Mary, she says, my soul the joy that's overflowing from it because I trust in the promises of God, even though I have no idea exactly how this is going to play out. Mary doesn't know what Jesus' life will look like, the miracles that he'll do. She doesn't know any of that. She just trusts the promises of God in her soul. The joy is so overflowing in her that it magnifies who God is. She says next, my spirit rejoices in God. Guess What's the word of rejoice? Joy. The same word that's used right up there when John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb in joy. Joy is everywhere. Because these women trust in the word of God. Because these shepherds trust in the word of God. So now let's go back over here to the shepherds and we see a great thing here. So the one angel... Um, he, he gets to deliver the message. But then there's this whole other multitude of angels, which probably means like a thousand at least. They're a part of this song. So maybe just think back into, if you, if you could get a glimpse into the heavenly places where God and his angels are. And, and again, it's not like a distant place. It's like this dimension that overlaps. And this angel who's tasked with giving this news to the shepherds, um, God says, I don't know how, if this is how it went down. I'm just saying, what if? He says, okay, I got a message I need you to send, and I want you to go give it to these shepherds. And I say, what? Excuse me? Uh, the shepherds? Yeah, yeah, I said it. The shepherds, don't question me. Are you sure they're the best people to give it to? Nobody trusts them. Yeah, I said the shepherds. Stop questioning me. And they say, um, there's these other people over here. They own a house and some land, and 
people would trust them. It's like, no, the shepherds. And so this angel says, fine, I'll go tell them. <laughs> so this angel goes and he tells the shepherds. He's confused. And that's his job when Jesus is born. I like to think that all the other angels, because remember what's happened already. Jesus has been born. God has taken the form of man. And all these other angels, here's what I think happened. They were celebrating so hard. Because, <laughs> again, they trusted God, but yet to see it fulfilled. They were celebrating so hard that they, their, their party just kind of overflowed into the earthly realm. <laughs> and it's almost like somebody opened the door on them and saw them all singing and partying. And they're like, ah, <laughs> they kind of got caught. That's how I like to envision it, because they were so excited. They had so much joy. You, you see this. The angels have joy over God fulfilling his plans in the world for salvation. The angels are excited about this. And their excitement overflows through, and these shepherds get to be the first to peek in at heaven's party. And they, they're singing, and there's dancing, and there's rejoicing. And that's the story of the angels. So Mary is overflowing with joy at the work of God. Again, the angels don't know fully exactly how God's going to accomplish his promises. They just see the first part of it and they begin to rejoice that God is saving his people. Mary's rejoicing. She doesn't know how. The shepherds then, they get the news and they begin to rejoice. So look at this, verse 20. Look at this, verse 20. The shepherds returned. This is after visiting Mary and Joseph and Jesus. They returned, and what were they doing? Glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So in joy they go, then they get to see what they had been told, and their joy only increases, and they go back glorifying and praising and this Greek verb is uh, in the participle, which means it's ongoing. So they just never stop glorifying and praising God. That's what joy does. It never stops. They couldn't shut up about it. Probably for the rest of their life, they just kept telling this story. Telling them what God had done, what God was doing. And you see how it brings glory to God? How it megalunes God, how it magnifies him? Their joy overflowing. It's not some great marketing plan. It's just literally coming out of them, oozing out of them. Have you ever had a friend that's told you about a movie that they've seen or a restaurant that they've eaten at, and they're just they're gushing about it, and they just won't shut up about it. And they're always telling you the same story over and over. Did I tell you about that time that I went to this place? Oh, it's the best. You're like, yes, you, you tell me that literally every time I see you. <laughs> They just don't stop gushing about what they've seen and heard. And it makes God and his greatness visible to the world. That's what joy accomplishes. Joy accomplishes God's glory. Um, there's a pastor theologian named John Piper. He says it like this. He says, God is most glorified when you are most satisfied. And you could say, when you enjoy him the most. So your job as a human being created by God in God's world is to glorify him. And how do you do that? By enjoying him. 
by being filled by unassailable true joy. And that unassailable true joy comes through hearing the word of God, the promises of God, the good news about what God has done and is doing, and trusting that even before it is fulfilled. And that joy then becomes glory to God. This is, this is the way it works. This is the way it works. So who is the most joyful person in the world if this is the way it works? Who do you think is the most joyful person in the world? i got some news for you. It's not the richest people in the world. It's not the Jeff Bezos, not the Zuckerbergs of the world. Jim Carrey once said, I wish everybody could be rich and famous and have everything they wanted so that they would realize it doesn't satisfy. It's not those with political power, with title, influence. It's not those with great worldly knowledge and education. Those aren't, those aren't the, peop- the most joyous people in the world. The most joyous person in the world probably is some very old woman living in somewhere in Africa who has watched many of her loved ones die before her, who is no longer with husband, who does not have a cent to her name, who will die and nobody will talk about it or hear about it. But multiple times a week, you can find her sitting on some dirt floor in her local church, praising and trusting the promises of God. That's probably the most joyous person in all the earth at this moment, if I had to guess. And how can that be? Well, guess what? Nobody can take that joy from her. Nobody can take it from her. Because none of her joy is related to anything that can be stolen. No one can steal the promises of God. It can't be taken away. And for that reason, her joy is unassailable. Do you have that kind of joy? Have you found in 2020 that your joy has been stripped away, exposed for what it is, a half joy? Why does God choose these shepherds? Why does God tell Luke of all the things that Mary told him? Because Mary would have told him about the Magi, but Luke doesn't write about it. Mary would have told him about all the other things that had happened. Luke didn't write about it. Why does he choose this? Why does God say, Luke, I want you to write about the shepherds? Why do do they get to be the first people to hear the good news of the Messiah's coming? They were primed for real, true, unassailable joy. They were ready for it. Because they met the prerequisite, having no competing, distracting half-joys. They were then available to listen to God's messengers and to hear clearly his good news. And this hearing then turns to believing, which is trusting in the promises of God. And this trusting leads them to action. they got nothing else going on. Might as well go check it out. It leads them to action, and this action results in unspeakable joy. And this joy brings glory to God and his son. 
Jesus the Christ. That's why the shepherds were chosen. Maybe this is the first time in your life in 2020 where you are feeling a bit like a shepherd. Not a lot going for you. Isolated, cold, little prospects of upward mobility. Maybe God's got you right where he wants you. No distractions. All the half joys taken away. No longer muddling up your hearing of the gospel. Just silence so that you can hear one of God's messengers. So that you can hear God himself telling you this joy-provoking news. I mean, maybe you've been through many a Christmas, and now for the first time you're ready to hear it. The good news. Here's the good news. God loves you. God came to this world to rescue you from half-joys. Jesus is God in the flesh, and Jesus died in your place. He died for true forgiveness. You are free now to live with God again. You don't ever have to be alone again. Your failures no longer define you. Christ's victory does. Do you trust those words? Do you trust them? How, how, do, I know if I, how do I know if I trust them? Even as I'm saying them, I'm, I'm literally, I have goosebumps right now. Is your soul filling with a joy that's a bit unrecognizable? That, that's how you know that you trust those words. So let me say them one more time to you, except this time I'm going to use God's voice. God says to you, I love you. I came to this world to rescue you from half joys. I am Jesus. I am God in the flesh. I died in your place for true forgiveness. You are free to live with me again. You don't have to be alone. Your failures no longer define you. My victory does. Do you trust him? Do you believe that's true? Is God speaking those words to you? It's good to be a shepherd. Now maybe you've believed those words for a long time. What's in it for you tonight? Why are you here? Why are you hearing this again? Well, it's always good to be reminded. Joy should fill our heart every time we hear these promises of God. But that's not all. If you already believe these things and you trust these things, you've maybe got something else. The hardest thing about sharing these words tonight is that I know not everybody in this city has heard these words. Not everybody's heard this news.
Let's reverse engineer it. If joy comes from believing God's message, and to believe or trust someone must first hear, then either everyone must get an angelic choir, like the shepherds, or something or someone else must speak the message of God to all the people. That might be you. 2020 has left a lot of folks you know joyless, disenchanted, lonely, feeling bleak and miserable. What they need and what they finally might be ready to hear is an angel showing up to tell them the promise of God. They don't need a physical gift. It's not going to give them the kind of joy that lasts. They need the gift of this message that the angels give the shepherds. Whose angel will you be this year? If you don't share the message, how will they hear? And if they don't hear, how will they trust? And if they don't trust, how will they have true unassailable joy? And if they don't have true unassailable joy, how will they give glory to God and enjoy him forever? Whose angel will you be this year? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you sent your heavenly messengers to these shepherds that they trusted and believed the good news and were filled with unassailable joy, but that they didn't keep that to themselves, that they not only glorified you by overflowing and gushing uh, with sublime uh, revelation of your truth, but they also went and spoke the same message that they heard to others and shared it with them so that others might have a chance to trust and experience that joy. So God, I pray for my friends scattered throughout this city, maybe even listening from around the country, God, that you might put somebody on their heart right now, somebody who needs an angel, who needs somebody to deliver the heavenly message, to tell them that they are not alone, that God came to be with them, that he died for them, that he rose again to newness of life, and that he reigns as king of heaven and that heaven's coming to earth and they can be a part of that new kingdom. God, give your people divine commands to go and be messengers. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.